Fred was a rebel against authority. He objected to authority whenever it attempted to interfere with what he wanted to do. Fred actually was not a comedian who used blue material, but the censors were terribly cautious, shall we say, and uh, would frequently read into the line something that was not there. And did you worry all week about that Sunday night show? You had to worry because you had to keep your rating, and when ratings became exposed to the uh, advertising people, why then you had to be conscious of that and also the sales of the product and the quality of your show and the competition and the opposition and things. There were many things to be concerned about. In your book, Treadmill to Oblivion, mm -hmm. you say that radio is dying, that the giveaway programs forced people to give away their radios. That's In fact, right. you call giveaway quiz programs the buzzards of radio. That's true. How did you try to handle the situation when Stop the Music came on at the same time as your Sunday night show and took over? Stop the Music can't take all the credit. The problem came when Jack Benny and Amos and Andy and Edgar Bergen all went over to the other network and our show was left alone. We stayed with NBC and we were sort of vulnerable because most of the audience up until 8.30 went over to the other network, or 8 o'clock I guess it was. And we were a show that was 18 years old and consequently a new show which appealed to greed and, you know, supposedly the money was available for people. Actually it wasn't. That's explained in the book too. But the coming of the quiz show showed that the interest in the advertising part of the business, the advertising money supports the, the programs, they were interested in the cheaper shows that would get the larger audiences for their advertising purposes. They had no interest in the development of talent or in the quality of the shows. And consequently, when the quiz shows were cheap, then they became very popular, not because they, the public wanted them or because they were exceptionally good. It was principally because they were cheaper. I could see that nobody profited except the man who owned the quiz show. The network didn't profit because they were advertising 20 products who were giving their products to the people who owned the quiz show to advertise for nothing as far as the sponsor was concerned. They had no musicians on. They had nobody on. January of 1949, Fred Allen was worn out. He'd spent years battling with sponsors and with NBC. In December of 1948, his Sunday at 8.30 rating was a healthy 20 points. But after Edgar Bergen left NBC's airwaves, the network moved Allen's show up a half hour to 8 p.m. Meanwhile on ABC, Stop the Music's popularity was soaring. Allen lost nearly half his audience in a single month. By March, Stop the Music's rating would reach 17.6, while Allen's fell to 9.4. Allen was a voracious reader, sometimes scouring 10 newspapers a day for topical material. In the end, perhaps he just cared too much, as close friend Donald Voorhees remembered. Each year, Fred dreaded more the chore of this weekly radio program that he had to do. And toward the end of the season, he, he really quite beat. As a matter of fact, that brought on the, no question of what that brought on, the hypertension, high blood pressure. Because it got to be more and more of just a dreadful chore as time went on. Because 
Fred would never settle for repeats or imitations. By June, with his rating down to an unthinkable 5.8, he'd had enough. The 55-year-old called it a 17-year radio career after June 26, 1949. Jack Benny and Henry Morgan were his final guests. Fittingly, the program ran long, and Allen's network feed was cut off. Mr. Benny, uh, Mr. Benny, the reason that I'm here... Yes, see, Jack, I'm... look, Henry has to borrow $300 by 4 o'clock or some shyster with a loan company will take his furniture and his moose head. Yes, Mr. Benny, see, we thought that maybe you $300. Would... Hmm. I'm a good risk, Mr. Benny. I- I've been working all winter. Yes. You worked all winter and you're broke? I'm flatter than something that's been stepped on. Mr. Morgan, this is rather a personal question, but what do you do with your money? I spend it. I, I see your problem already. <laughs> uh, how, how do you spend your money? Well, after a hard day's work, I generally go into a bar for a cocktail. Yes. I buy drinks for everybody, and then we uh, go to dinner. We? After buying a few drinks, I suddenly acquire a crowd of friends. And you buy everybody dinner? Well, if I bring guests in to eat, I have to pick up a check, don't I? I've heard of it. The... <laughs> After dinner, the whole gang follows me to a nightclub. I, I pay the check and tip everybody wearing a mess jacket. Always end up broke. That's why I need $300. Mr. Morgan, if you would do as I do, you would need $300. Well, what do you do? Well, after a hard day's work like you, I go into a bar. And uh, you buy a drink? First, I let out a shriek so everybody sees me, and then I faint. You faint? A crowd gathers. Somebody gives me three or four brandies to bring me two. <laughs> I get up off the floor, shake hands all around, and leave for dinner. Uh, do you eat alone, Mr. Benny? No, I usually find a group of friends at a table, and I sit with them. Who pays for the dinner? Well, all during the meal, I keep feeling my pad of butter. You keep feeling your butter? Yes. When it comes time to pay, I reach for the check. While my hand is slipping around, somebody else picks it up. <laughs> I'd like to know something. After dinner, do you go out to a nightclub? Always. I order champagne for everybody. And then just before the floor show finishes, I swallow four sleeping pills fast. Four sleeping pills? Yes. I don't know how the party ends up or who pays the check. I just <laughs> wake up in bed the next day well rested. <laughs> you, see, you see, Henry, Mr. Benny really knows how to live. And well, nobody ever made me this cheap on my own program. <laughs> Mr. Chief, Mr. Benny, I'll certainly follow your advice. Oh, there's just one more thing. Yes, Mr. Morgan. Can you let me have $300? Yes, Jack. Henry has to have $300 by 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock? Why, it's 5 after 4 now. Excuse me, that's the phone. I'll answer it in the booth. Fred, it's 5 after 4. I'm ruined. Now, Henry, Henry, don't go to pieces. My friend, my furniture, my moose head, the Mohawk Loan Company will take everything. Henry, I'll go home with you. Maybe I can talk to the shyster who's president of that Mohawk Loan Company. Well, I'm sorry, fellas. I have to leave. That phone call was urgent. Some business just came up. Well, let's go, Henry. Maybe I can give you fellas a lift. Which way are you going? Well, I'm going home. I live on East 61st Street. Really? I'm going to East 61st Street. I live at 331. Now, that's a coincidence. I'm going to 331. Then you must be coming to my house. I don't know. I have to pick up some furniture and a moose head. Jack, Jack, 
besides running a turnstile in the subway, a slot in the office. I also happen to be the shyster who's president of the Mohawk Loan Company. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Through general acceptance, I think you find that things change as you progress. Not always for the better, but they change. <laughs> Life is constant adjustment to change. I mean, nothing stays as it is. And I'm sorry about that. It is uh, unfortunate that you can't just pick a time in your life where things are going well and the children are at a certain age and you just stop there and just live eternally, but you can't do that. What time it's... of your life, if you could do that, would you want to... Well, I've been so busy, I've never given it any thought. It's a waste of time anyway. You can't accomplish it, so why waste your time thinking about something you can't do? Well, I if would think possible. you would have picked the time when... Sunday nights, you had the greatest radio program in the country. I also had the greatest aggravation and the greatest stress and the bigger taxes at that time, too. So here's there something on the other side. There's something to be said on the government side, too. Although Fred Allen's program came to a close, he was still under contract to NBC. When the network launched the big show, Allen became a regular. The 90-minute program debuted on November 5, 1950. It was an attempt to revive NBC's Sunday night ratings. It was hosted by Tallulah Bankhead, written by Goodman Ace, with music by Meredith Wilson, announced by Jimmy Wallington, and rotated a star-studded cast. Ace had long been an admirer of Fred's work. Allen appeared on 24 of the show's 57 episodes, including the landmark premiere. It was in one of the many acerbic letters I got from Fred when I was in Hollywood that he wrote his now famous description of the West Coast. California, he said, is a wonderful place to live if you happen to be an orange. One day I asked Fred why he always typed in lowercase. Doesn't the shift key on your typewriter work, Fred? And he said, yes, but I've never been able to shift for myself. An hour and 30 minutes, this program will present in person such bright stars as Fred Allen, Mindy Carson, Jimmy Durante, Jose Ferrer, Portland Hoffa, Frankie Lane, Paul Lucas, Ethel Merman, Russell Knight, Danny Thomas, Meredith Wilson, and my name, darling, is Lula Bankhead. <laughs> Broadcasting Company presents The Big Show. Each episode cost over $100,000 to produce. Hopes were high. Before the show's launch, the entire cast flew out to London for a lavish publicity stunt. Although Alan was as funny as ever, the British press were unimpressed, and the show was a flop. In Paris, he came up with some of the funniest lines I personally have ever heard. He said that the food in Paris is served in flames. For the first time, the American in Paris enjoys food he can read by. He also had the great lines about the money. He said that, you know, French money is made of ridiculously thin paper. And he said that it was the thinnest paper he'd ever seen in public. He also had lines like, French money is Kleenex with murals. He said he'd been blowing his nose in it for five days before he found out it was money. Practically nothing was sacred in that respect to Fred and... 
Many people mistook this as bitterness, which it was not at all. It was the man's innate sense of what was comic and what was attackable in any given situation, and this included, incidentally, himself. Amazingly, the show was brought back for a second season, but by the end, NBC had lost a million dollars and made no dent into CBS's Sunday night ratings. After the final broadcast on April 20th, 1952, Fred Allen was happy to walk away. Fred, my darling, you fool. It's so nice to have you back on radio. I've missed you. Oh, so you are the one. (laughs) According to Hooper, you are the one. No, darling, we've all missed you. Why don't you come back, Fred? Well, I'll tell you, darling. I, uh... (laughs) I have been dabbling in something which, for the want of a better name, we shall call television. Please, darling, people are eating. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. Say, you didn't by any chance happen to see me on my first television show, did you? No, I didn't, Fred. Uh, Oh, you weren't home? Oh, oh, yes, I was home, darling. Oh, no set, darling? No guts, darling. (laughs) Well, you know television's a new medium, and I have discovered why they call it a medium, because nothing is well done, or very little. Allen eventually did break into television, first as the MC of Judge for Yourself, and finally as a regular panel guest on the CBS quiz show, What's My Line? Time now for everybody's favorite guessing game, What's My Line? And now let's meet our award-winning What's My Line panel. First, the delightful star of stage and television, Miss Arlene Francis. And now, our charming humorist, Mr. Fred Allen. And now, a surprise, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Dorothy Kilgallen. <laughs> Between 1954 and 56, he also worked as a newspaper columnist and as a memoirist, renting a small New York office to work without distractions. There he wrote Treadmill to Oblivion, which reviewed his radio and TV years, and Much Ado About Me, which covered the early years of his life. Treadmill was the best-selling book on radio's classic period for many years. When it was published, he appeared on the Texan Jinx radio show out of WNBC in New York on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, November 24, 1954, to talk about his career. The show was broadcast from Peacock Alley at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel. The weather was dreary, which only added to Fred's usual sense of sarcastic humor. Any successful person, or especially a comedian who gets involved in the mechanized version of the entertainment world, has to compete with the machine, and of course he has to lose the battle because the machine is going to survive, and the comedian, I treat comedians because I know more about them and was formerly and am currently an alleged comedian. 
But treadmill to Well, you're on a treadmill if you're on the... We did 700 and some odd hours during the 18 years we were on radio. And ultimately, the machine is still here, the microphone is still here, and I became ill. Not from reading the jokes, but I mean from pressure and work and sustained aggravation and things like that. I wonder if you you just read the last couple of lines in your book. Well, that that tells you. And the radio comedian's... Whether or not he knows it, the successful comedian is on a treadmill to oblivion. When a radio comedian's program is finally finished, it slinks down memory lane into the limbo of yesterday's happy hours. All that the comedian has to show for his years of work and aggravation is the echo of forgotten laughter. By 1954, Alan already had a heart attack. Always a letter writer, he reflected upon the lifestyle changes he was forced to adopt in a note to friend Doc Rockwell. Doc, he says, I can't eat salt, I can't eat sugar, I can't have any meat, I can't lie on the sand, I can't go in the water. I may just as well stay down here and stay in a closet. And a sort of a prophetic little part he had in there, I don't know how it came up, but he says the way to live is to live each day as if that day may be the last and someday you'll be right. Taking a late night stroll up New York's West 57th Street on a blustery cold Saturday night, St. Patrick's Day, 1956, Alan suffered a heart attack and died on the spot. He was 61. Due to the public nature of his death, reporters were quick to arrive at the scene. The next day's Sunday Daily News cover featured a photo of his body with the headline, Fred Allen Dies in Street. Mort Green remembered going to his office shortly thereafter. One of the most touching things was coming back to this office the Tuesday after Fred had died. He'd been there on Saturday. We hadn't been in the office for, oh, six or seven days. And we never quite were sure when Fred had been in the office. We knew he was there every day, and yet you never, there, were by, there was never any sign that Fred had occupied this place, except if you knew Fred. Everything was neat as a pin. The dust was still neat. He disturbed so little, and yet disturbed so much with his tremendous talent. But personally, he was the most methodical, in the finer sense of what methodical means, rather than against the drudgery sense of it, Uh, We walked in that following Tuesday and opened the refrigerator and there were the two bottles of apple juice and the four or five pieces of fruit and the the little container of cottage cheese. And in the bottom of the wastebasket, which was quite clean, were a few little shavings from the pencils he had sharpened, the last pencils he had sharpened. But when I opened the secretary drawer and in it were 12 brown paper bags neatly folded. These were the bags with which he had brought to work the fruit, the apple juice, and so on. He never threw them away in case we might possibly need them. His death sent the entertainment industry into deep mourning. Jack Benny was profoundly shaken. In truth, as funny as Benny was, he was never exactly the same without his old sparring partner. During the following night's Sunday broadcast of What's My Line?, Host John Daly preceded the program with a special message to the viewing audience. Steve Allen took Fred's place on the panel. This is a melancholy time for us, 
as I'm sure it is for you. I'm sure most of you know that during last night, Fred Allen passed away. It was our thought that tonight we would invite some of Fred's old friends here and we'd talk about Fred, his contributions to American humor and American culture. Or perhaps we would go into the library of film, which we have, excerpt it and tell something of the story of Fred Allen and the great contributions that he made to our industry. Mrs. Allen, the beloved Portland, specifically has asked us not to do that. It was her feeling that if we wished to pay tribute to Fred, the best tribute we could pay him would be to do this program just as if he were here with us. Fred was a professional performer, and he did a great many shows, I'm sure, when he didn't feel like laughing. But he did them, and we're going to try to do them in that same tradition. And so, for Arlene Francis and Steve Allen, an old friend who was kind enough to come and help us tonight, and Dorothy Kilgallen and Bennett Cerf, we are going to do What's My Line the way Fred would have liked to had it done. During the final 90 seconds of the program, Steve Allen, Arlene Francis, and Bennett Cerf gave heartfelt tributes to Fred. Until next week, this is John Daly saying goodnight, Miss Arlene. John, uh, at this point, I would just like to express a feeling that I feel sure must be shared by millions of Americans. Fred Allen was not only a great talent, but a great gentleman, and he shall be sorely missed. Good night, Fred. Steve? Just a few months ago, sitting in this chair, I believe, Fred read a postcard viewer had sent to What's My Line asking, is Fred Allen Steve Allen's father? Fred laughed at it. The answer, of course, was no. But last night when I heard the sad news, I couldn't have been any more depressed if the answer had been yes. Dorothy? Thank you, Steve, and uh, thank you for being here. I think your being here has helped all of us to carry on. The half hours that I spent with Fred Allen in the dressing room before What's My Line every Sunday night meant a great deal to me. Goodbye, Fred. Like so many others who love and appreciated you, I'll never forget you. John. And Mrs. Allen, we hope that this is a What's My Line that Steve would have, or rather Fred would have liked very much. We tried to make it that way. Good night, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks for being with us on What's My Line. He was buried at Gate of Heaven Cemetery in Hawthorne, New York. Both his real and stage names are engraved on the headstone. Treadmill to Oblivion is one of the best-selling autobiographical books by any radio star in history. And the big show, there was a theme song written by Magic Wilson that we always ended the show with. And I would like to end this tribute by quoting the last line on the big show. May the good Lord bless and keep you until we meet again. Good night, darling.